it is such a delight to be here and give honor to the president of Urshan and my friend, Dr. Brent Coltharp. And many years ago, he introduced me to his mom and he said, this is my friend that I wish I had known when we were kids because uh, we so connected. And uh, I told him a little earlier in his office that my regret is, is that we never really get to spend enough time together. And it's like, we're always just passing. And he says, well, you can, uh, you can help make that uh, a little bit easier by just coming here. And uh, I'm here for, for a little bit, and I'll also give honor to my friend Jenny Russell and her husband, Brother Russell. We go back to Indiana many years ago. Sister Russell's grandmother was the camp nurse, and my grandfather was a Sunday school director in Indiana for 27 years. So I remember Sister Russell when we were probably four or five years old. I, I remember going over to her grandmother's house and. It's just uh, amazing to um, be able to spend time with them every time I come in, in contact with them. Also give honor to Brother Dennis, looking forward to tomorrow, and Brother Gurley, appreciate his ministry. And of course, many of you, my friends, that I've gotten to uh, connect with um, today. And it's been a busy day uh, already. I think this is my fourth time to speak today. And um, so it's it's all good, I, 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 don't, I don't mind. I, if I fall asleep and snore, just wake me up and I'll, I'll finish. And, uh, but anyway, it really is good to be here. I want to dive right in. I have to say that uh, what uh, Dr. Coltharp just talked about is so fitting with what I want to talk about. I leaned up and I said, well, you might as well just take in my notes and, and just, just share them or tore them apart or whatever. I mean, he just covered uh, basically everything I want to say, but I want to maybe say it in a little different way and then focus on some pieces of it um, that may impact and be helpful. So um, I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, my dad pastors in a, in a farm town north side of Indianapolis, and um, he pastored several different places in Indiana. For a little bit of time, he pastored in Niles, Michigan, but it was just right across the line from South Bend. So we never really did much with the Michigan district uh, because of all of our connections to Indiana. And I remember going to camp there once for a service, but I went to camp in Indiana uh, district. And, um, and so it was just uh, a very um, fun time of years uh, of my life growing up in Indiana and um, a little farm town, actually, a town of about 2,000 people. And uh, that was from the age of 12 on. And my dad is still there, still pastoring. I uh, actually turned the church to my brother. My brother, a couple years ago, resigned and moved to uh, Illinois to pastor the church. And my dad has stepped back in. He's 78 years old. And, um, but he was on top of the roof of the church this summer. Us kids went nuts. Uh, like, Dad, you're too old to be up there. He thinks he um, can do anything that he's always done. And he pretty much can. Uh, you would never dream that he was um, getting ready to turn 78, actually, here in a few weeks. So my dad uh, would call me up. I, I left when I was 30 years old and went to pastor in East Tennessee. And my father would call me up and he would say, son, um, how, are, how, are you, um, how, how are you doing with things? How's, how's your family? Are you spending time with your family? Are you spending time? And he would just ask me these questions. And he would often make this statement that it's not just about doing, but it's also about becoming. And he would, like, ingrain this into me. So I've heard this statement made when I was a kid, a teenager, um, Christian school. He would talk to us, those who felt called to ministry. He'd remind us of this. I'm pastoring now in East Tennessee, and he's asking me these things. I'm in my early 30s. And uh, my dad was always asking me the, um, 
have you, how are you doing on your becoming? And so um, a few years back, I went to study and, and pursue my doctorate. And I'm at a residency, and a Dr. Gearston, who was a co-founder of Regent University, he is the speaker. And while he is speaking, he makes this statement. He says, when it's all said and done, what you become will be far greater than all you've ever done. And when he says that, there's 60 of us in this class, and uh, it was as though that I'm hearing my father. And now I'm hearing it from this Dr. Gearston, and he changes it up a little bit and really drives home the point that when it's all said and done, when, when you have finished your course uh, of life and leadership, um, it's not about what you have accomplished as much as it is what you have become. When he says that, it just resonates with me. And I remember writing it down. So through the years, um, written several books, and I talk about this. I believe I address this in Realign. Um, I'm almost certain that I talk about it in 70. Um, I, I, have, I think I talked about it in Leading Growth. I, I just throw this in here and there. I've even devoted an entire chapter um, to this thought that um, when it's all said and done, it's what you become and uh, that is most important. And so the doing versus becoming. So I am um, in a, in a uh, process of writing uh, another book. And so the title of the book I'm working on right now, or my manuscript, is uh, The Next Level Leader. And so I'm very interested in what do you have to do to go to the next level. And I'm thinking along the lines that when um, life changes and you step into different roles and responsibilities. So I just um, brainstorming, thinking about it and things I've read. I begin to jot down what do you have to do to go to the next level. And it's very basic. I'm targeting the book for that 25 to 35-year-old. And, um, and I'm, so one of the chapters, the first chapter actually, is you've got to be stretchable. Um, you have to be willing to... Um, allow your thought process to, to change, and you have to be willing to adapt. And so I'm, I'm talking about being stretchable. Um, the next chapter is that you have to be willing to manage chaos. And anytime you step into something that is new, it's unfamiliar, uh, it takes a little while to develop your rhythm, and it's chaotic, and you got to be willing to, to handle that. And I hate saying higher up. It's not really, I don't like the term higher up, but as your levels of responsibility increase, and uh, you're going to find that there is more potential for chaos, and you've got to be willing to be able to manage that the right way and not allow it to um, cause you to come frazzled and respond in the wrong way. So I'm, I'm working through these different chapters, and I, I get to this one chapter, and the title, as I've done before, um, is Focusing on Becoming. Because it's so important. It's, it's such a, uh, a key part of my life. And so the title of that chapter is Do, But Don't Forsake Becoming. And so I just want to drive home that point. Well, when I got ready to write that chapter, I'm grabbing information here and there. I'm putting it together. And uh, this way my brain works. I will go out and I'll get 30,000 words to write a 3,000-word um, chapter. And I'm going through all the material. And I'm devouring it. And it just dawned on me, uh, Sister Russell, that I have never read an academic article on it. And so I'm kind of geeky when it comes to these things. I'm like, man, I want I to I find out, if, is there something out there? And so I just Googled, because Google is my friend, 
And um, I Googled free, because I didn't want to pay for it, free academic article. And you would think I have access to all these different journals and all, but I never can remember my password. And so I have difficulties with that. And I didn't want to chase it down. So I just typed in free academic article doing verse becoming. And I found one. It's actually a thesis uh, written for uh, the completion of a doctorate of ministry. And so I thought, well, let's just read this. And I open it up, and it's like 196 pages. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be fun. And I love finding little gems like that. And so I start reading my way through it, and I get captivated by it. Um, it Dr. Coulthard mentioned uh, Robert Clinton's work. And this author is based in a lot of his thesis on Dr. Clinton's work. And Dr. Clinton says that in the 1980s and 90s that they did research of thousands of church leaders. And they found, and notice this, they found that one-third, only one-third of these church leaders finish well. Two-thirds do not finish well. Well, the way that I think, and I'm reading something like this, I start asking questions. And this is just my brain. This is how, I, how it works. Well, I, I read that, and, and my first thought was, now, wait a minute. I wrote 70, and in 70, I talk about all sorts of statistics by Maranatha and Pew Research. And research is more current than, than Dr. Clinton's research, and they say, that ten, only 10% of church leaders stay with the ministry throughout their lifetime. Only 10%. They say that, that uh, I think it is 80%, 80% of those who enter into the seminary will be out of ministry within five years. So the statistics are extremely alarming. And Robert Clinton's research actually is more favorable, favorable than the other research. And so when I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, I've got more current statistics than that. And uh, even though the one-third is, is horrible, it's still better than what I've read before. But what gets me is the term finish well. And I think to myself, what does it mean to finish well? What is the definition of finishing well? And then my second thought is, is why don't more people finish well? And so instantly when I read this, the first few pages of this thesis, I'm like, man, I am, I'm, I'm going to find out. And I just start reading. I'm, I'm doing this like I'm flipping the pages, but it's a PDF, so I'm actually doing this. I'm scrolling, I'm reading, and I'm reading. And what I found was so interesting. I began to look at uh, phases of, of growth. And this author not only uh, bases his work, his thesis, off of uh, Robert Clinton's, but he also dives into several others. And there's five or six. And you'll find that there's an overlap, and people have built off of Clinton's work. And um, you'll find a lot of the same terminology and different writings, and then some of them change it up a little bit, and they may have four phases or five phases, but, but Clinton has six phases. And um, what I'm, I'm, I'm reading in this research uh, project is that the first phase is what is called the formative phase. Uh, the formative phase is uh, where God uses um, things like uh, your family heritage, your environment, uh, your early life to begin shaping you for his purposes. 
And I, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, okay, um, it was in my formative years that I gave my life to God. It was in my, uh, my wife's formative years that she uh, also gave her life to the Lord, but it was while she was the age of seven years old that she was sexually molested. And um, by six different people from the age of seven to 14. And so I'm reading this, and, and they, she comes from a great home. Her mom and dad did not know about it. But as the years went by, years later, and I'll get to that in, in a minute, but it began to affect our marriage. These are formative years that God realizes that what is taking place in your life is shaping you. It's molding you. But God sees the end from the very beginning, and God says, I will allow this, but I'm going to work all things together for good, and I've got a plan that if you'll allow me to shape and mold you, that when it's all said and done, you'll look back on it, and you'll be able to thank me that I allowed you to walk through some things, and I walked with you through those things because of what I brought about at the end. And so these are the formative years. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, this is making sense to me. And in my own personal life, I'm seeing this from the age of, of being born up until around the age of 18 or so, graduation uh, from, from high school, uh, graduating from high school. And so the, these are the formative years. And then um, the, the next phase is what is called the inner growth phase. And this is where... You begin, to, you begin to seek and you begin to know God. Um, you begin to learn spiritual disciplines. You become involved in perhaps serving in some form of ministry. Uh, this is where character is really being formed in your life. And this is where you begin to understand the differences in your personalities and uh, how to get along with people. And you begin to realize, now wait a minute, everyone else cannot be wrong. There's probably something wrong with me. And oftentimes, this is where you begin to recognize these things. And it could be that while you are in uh, college and you've got a roommate, and all of a sudden your roommate, oh, well, they do this wrong or they do that wrong. And if it's not college, I promise you, you will experience this in marriage. <laughs> because your spouse will tell you where you need to grow and where you need to change and need to develop. And then all of a sudden in this time, you'll begin recognizing, wait a minute, um, what happened way back then has shaped me to be this way, and I may need to work on this. And so this is the inner growth life phase. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I, I'm seeing this in my life probably between the ages of 18 and 30. And, and this is not like... It stops and the next one starts. There's a great overlap. The age is just my way of looking at it in my personal life. You can apply it to your own life. But these are just phases of growth, and I've seen myself in every one of these phases. The third phase is that of what they call the emerging leader. And this is where we begin to minister to others. We discover our leadership gifts. Uh, we begin to develop the natural leadership abilities and spiritual gifts, and uh, we become known, perhaps, for some of our skill sets and our talent, and we, we use those things to build ministries and perhaps build churches, and, and this is a phase that God begins to even deepen, uh, even more so deepen our character by allowing us to experience things 
um, that uh, have to deal with leading people and how to improve your leadership abilities and your skill set. And as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, okay, this is in my life that 30 to 40 or so year age. This is when I'm pastoring and I'm trying to figure out how to move forward and I'm, I'm trying to improve as a leader. This is when I went and got the mower on a Sunday afternoon. And I was told, Brother Gurley, that you do not work on Sunday. But I was ticked, very upset. And uh, it was a home missions church. And we lived in the church for a few years. Now I'm, we're out of the church and we're living out in the country. And um, I've got an acre and a half or so. And it took me about an hour and 45 minutes to push it. And it's kind of hilly. And across the street is the Cherokee National Forest. And it was a Sunday afternoon. And I came home and I grabbed the mower because I was mad at everybody. I was mad at my wife because she doesn't care about the church like I care about the church. I am mad at the assistant and who is our youth and slash assistant because he doesn't have the vision that I have and he doesn't care about it. I'm mad at his wife. I'm mad at every single person in the church and I just want to kill some things so I am killing blades of grass. And I, I am, I'm mowing this yard and I am fussing and I don't even realize that I'm praying. I've had more moments of praying that uh, where God just like, you know, begins to speak that I didn't even realize that I was praying and that have just had a major impact. Well, this is one of these days. It was a major impact in my life. Didn't realize I was praying. I was just mad. I'm pushing the mower. And would you know that in our front yard, there's only one tree and it's about as far as from here to this column away from me. And this is the conversation that takes place between here and that column. So it was really fast. But I said this, I don't have to be here. I don't have to be putting up with this. This is absolutely ridiculous. I could be somewhere and be full-time. I have opportunities to be full-time. And here I am because this is where God placed me. And God, you wanted me to be here. But this is absolutely ridiculous. All I want to do is train leaders. This is what I'm saying to the Lord. And the Lord said, train them. Now you would think... That a guy who has been raised in a, in a pastor's home and been to Bible college and, and, and pursuing uh, God's plan and calling his life, at that God-given moment that God says, train him, you th think I would drop right down in the grass and I would lift my hands to heaven and I would say, yea, Lord, thy servant heareth, I will do as thou hast said. Do you think I did that? No. Did I tell you that I was ticked? I was mad. And I just replied back, yeah, right. Like we've got four or five that I can train. Church about 30 people, about four or five leaders. And that was my response. Yeah, right. Like I've got four or five people that we can train. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, if you'll be faithful with a little, I'll give you much. Well, when he said that, I'm right in front of the tree. And at that point, the king, I, I'd lost it. I am bawling. I'm, oh, God, I'm sorry. I'll do what you said. And so that week, I contacted the youth pastor slash assistant, and I said, I've got a book for you to read. I had just discovered John Maxwell, and I devoured his material. And I said, i got a book for you to read. I said, I want you to meet me at Crackle Barrel on Saturday. We're going to discuss the first chapter, and we would do that every Saturday. I didn't realize at that time, I'm in my early 30s, I didn't realize what all was going to transpire in my life. A few years later, the Lord led us 
away, we moved to Memphis for the first time in my life. I'm now exposed to leadership at a higher level. Now, mind you, the Home Missions Church, we're averaging around 30 or so people for several of those years. And so I moved from there to to a church where all of a sudden now I'm responsible for the youth because it's in the transition for a couple of years. There's 150 young people. I'm responsible for young marrieds that were starting young marrieds ministry. There's 150 young marrieds. Now I am pastoring 300 people. I'm the guy who does their counseling. I'm the guy who goes to the hospital. And, and I'm the guy who marries a lot of them. And I'm the guy who, who uh, follows up on, with them if they miss church on Sunday. I'm doing all these things of, that you would do if you're pastoring. And now I'm exposed to uh, systems and structure. And, and I, I told this story earlier today in one of the classes where um, I, I go in and have a meeting with the senior pastor. And he says, okay, I, I want you to... Um, um, do such and such, talking about vision and how to work with things. And, and he actually what he said to me, he says, what is your vision for family ministries? And I said, well, you just tell me what your vision is and I'll make it happen because I've always heard vision flows down from the top. You've got the vision. He goes, well, that's, that's really kind, but I really want to know what is your vision? And I said, well, you know, um, I, I don't have one. Um, whatever your vision is. And he goes, well, well really, what, what is your vision? And I'm like, um, you, you tell me and and he says, well, I can see where this is going. In an ever so slight smile, he says, here's my vision. We are going to launch family ministries, and I'm going to bring Eugene and Carrie Wilson here to be the family pastor. Now, Brother Wilson, what is your vision for family ministries? And I said, uh, I got it. And then I started telling him all these big things I want to do. And I'm, I'm a big picture person, you know, 30,000 view and I get in a meeting. I don't have to even know what's going on. Just get in a meeting with five or six people that are working on something. I'll just listen. And after about 15 minutes, I'll be like, hey, have you ever thought about this? I can see it. That's easy. Now, details, horrible. I'm horrible with details. I'm the guy, I told him this, and this is the truth. I will have on my list of things to do, call John, and I won't call John. And finally, I have to ask myself, why haven't I called John? And the reason is I don't have his phone number. So that's not my next step. The next step is call, you know, Bill and get John's phone number. And so I, I struggle with details. And so now I'm exposed to details in ways I've never seen before in my life. And he goes, man, that is great. That's great. Great vision. Now, you need to get with this person for the budget. You need to get with this person on this person. And you need to get with my daughter. She's going to help walk you through um, uh, stair-stepping. I'm going to say, what? Well, you're going to stair-step all those events. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, well, um, just, just get with Crystal, and she'll help you. So Crystal comes in my office. She goes, okay, uh, what all are you want to do? And I said, well, we're going to have this youth revival. We're going to do this thing with the family ministries. And I'm, she goes, okay, you have a date for that? And I'm like, no. She goes, well, what time of the year do you want to do that? And I said, well, probably a good such and such time of the year. Are you going to have a banquet? And this is for the unmarrieds and a, a get-together. And I'm like, um, that sounds good. And, uh, okay, um, how many people do you anticipate coming? I'm like, well, how do I know? And she's like, well, you've got 150 young marrieds. What do you think? And I said, 120? Okay, 120. Are you going to have salad? And I'm like, Crystal, it's, it's, it's not even time. Well, you're probably going to have salad. And I'm like, what are you filling out? And she's got this paper, and it's just like 120 bowls, 120 forks, 120 knives, 120 cups. And she's filling out this form. She goes, this goes to the person who oversees all the kitchen. They're going to order, and they order in bulk for the entire year. And I'm like, Sorry. I'm like this. 
And she looks at me, she goes, do you have a headache? And I said, yes. Because I'm using parts of my brain I've never used before. Every time that I would meet with her and we had to stair-step things, my brain is hurting. I'm using parts of my brain I've never used before. And so this is the time of growing as a leader. Well, as the years go by, some amazing things happen. Um, I decided to go back to school. And I always wanted to go back to school. And so I went back to school. And I got a counseling-related degree. And then I went back and got my doctorate in strategic leadership. And then um, I wrote a book that is now required reading for your general license. And I wrote the second book is required reading, reading for your ordination. And those books have been translated to Spanish and French. And, and, and in fact, Stephanie was just recently translated to Mandarin. And, uh, and so I find myself in 2019 in the Philippines, and I'm doing um, LDI, leadership training, and Terry Schock is speaking, and he says, I don't preach Holy Ghost Crusades. God never really called me to do that. He said, God called me to train leaders. And when he says that, he makes the other statement. He goes, and in fact, I'm training 252, this is people in the audience, of leaders of the largest oneness apostolic organization in the world. And he says that, and the Lord speaks to me and says, I told you that if you'll be faithful with a little, I would give you much, because I was the next speaker. So when I read this, I'm reading, okay, I get it. The emerging leader, 30 to 40 or so years in my life, the age of 30 to 40 or so. I'm growing as a leader. This is when I go back to school. I'm improving, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing systems and structure and all these things. Well then, there's a fourth phase and this session here is talking about transitioning through the fourth dimension. And this is the key right here. Those that reach the fourth phase is, um, is a little bit of a struggle. It's called life maturity. Life maturity is a time of isolation, it's a time of crisis. It's a time of conflict that drives you to a deeper dependency upon the Lord. This is where, and now notice this, this is where ministry begins to flow from the foundation of a leader's relationship with the Lord as opposed to his ability, talents, skill set, knowledge. You can say it like this. This is where it begins to flow from who a person has become as opposed to what a person does, as in the abilities of doing things. This is where we have to give up some things. This is where we have to die, so to speak, in the process. This is where there's a shift from a concept of self that is based on activity and popularity and success or performance to a concept of self that is wholly rooted in our relationship with the Lord. And this is what Clinton says. Clinton says that only one-third of people are able to transition through this process. Two-thirds never make it through this phase. They do one of two things. They either drop out completely and dropout doesn't necessarily mean that they have backslid or that they walk away from the Lord. It could just mean that they don't move any further in what God has for them. They just settle. They kind of step back, so to speak. 
It could be the person who's moved into leadership, and now they're like, no, I think I'll just be a saint. It could be the one who stepped out and tried to do some things but run into some stuff, and now I think I'll just settle back here. And the other thing that happens if they don't drop out or drop back, so to speak, is that they plateau. They never move beyond. They become stagnant. This is a life maturity. It's interesting that, that Jesus faced three temptations. In Matthew 4, the scripture says that the tempter came to him and says, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. The temptation that Christ is facing here is the temptation that you and I face. And that is that we will be attempted, we will be tempted to ascend or to, so to speak, you know, arrive, find validation or find affirmation based on what we do. This is the great temptation. Because if I'm doing something, everyone's affirming me. Everyone's, oh man, they've got it together. Then I feel it's like that I've arrived, and God's telling us, I want to use you in this, but we're not able to make the transition because we're being affirmed over here. I'll give you a quick example. My, my wife, many years ago, was singing in the choir. She was making gift baskets for ministers, and we had a lot of people that were coming through, and so it seemed like she was making gift baskets all the time, and she loved it. She went all out on making gift baskets. Our son was entering into the youth group. Our daughter was in children's ministry. The church was very, very busy. Our lives were busy, and I was in my uh, studies. I was uh, in my doctoral program, and my wife is finishing up her bachelor's degree, and she says to me, I think I'm going to drop out of school. And I said, why? And she says, well, I can't keep up with all of it. And I'm like, well, babe, just let go of something. Let go of the gift basket ministry. And she was like, no, no, I, I really enjoy doing that. I was okay. So we had this conversation multiple times, and then finally one day I came home, and she said, I called Liberty University, and I talked to one of the guidance counselors, counselors and uh, I'm dropping out. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we got to have a serious talk now. And, and the Lord helped me that day to help my wife in this journey. I said, why don't you let go of the gift basket ministry? And she says, babe, I, she goes, you, you know how I feel about that. I like, and I said, okay, let, let, let me see if I can help you for a second. I said, how many ladies in the church, and the church is about 650 people, and I said, how many ladies in the church do you think can make gift baskets? Now, my wife, if you do the disc personality, my wife is a cautious contemplator. She's details, tasks. She's very black and white. There's no shades of gray. And so I'm asking her, how many ladies? She's like, well, I don't know. How would I know that number? Now, I'm complete opposite. I'm big picture people. And I'm like, babe, just go with me here. I mean, just make up a number. It doesn't matter. You know, she goes, well, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that, that number. And I'm like, okay, do you think there may be 35 or 40 ladies that can make gift baskets? Not as good as you. And she just rolls her eyes at me like, seriously? I said, not as good as you, babe, but, but they can make a gift basket. And she says, probably. I said, let me ask you this. I said, how, how many ladies do you think have your story and your passion to go back to school? And she's, she's right now over halfway through her dissertation and pastoral care and counseling. And so everything that she was reaching for, she's, she's, she's getting there now. But this time, she's ready to drop out. And she's almost done with her BA in psychology. And I'm like, how, how many people have your story and your desire to do what you want to do? You, do you think there may be two or three ladies here in the church? 
just looks at me again. I think, babe, just go with me. You think there may be two or three? Maybe. I said, okay. I said, does it feel good when a guest comes in? They say, man, that was a great gift basket. And she just rolls her eyes at me again. It's like, are you seriously, you want me to admit that? And I'm like, babe, it's okay. It's okay. This is not a bad thing. I mean, it, it feels good, doesn't it? Yes. Now, now, mind you, the gift basket needs to be dropped off the hotel. It's a 17-minute drive from our house. I'm sleeping about four hours a night at this time in my life. And my wife doesn't have time to drop the gift basket off, so I am called to the gift basket ministry, and I don't want to be called to the gift basket ministry. Now, I don't mind taking the speaker to the airport, and if the gift basket's too big, he can't get a suitcase. I get the leftovers. I feel called to that. Uh, all the chocolate. But, uh, but I, I don't, I don't want to take time to, to get, run the gift basket over. So I'm trying to get her to let go, and she's not wanting to let go. And I said, so, babe, does it feel good when they say yes, you know, that I, I love this gift basket? And she admits yes. Um, it, it feels good. I said, has anyone told you thank you for taking your test? Thank you for reading your textbook. Thank you for studying. Thank you. And she just looks at me. She goes, of course not. And I said, can you imagine sometime in the future where a pastor's wife's got tears running down her face, and she says, thank you because you've helped me in my marriage. You've helped salvage our ministry. I said, can you imagine that day? And big tears swelled up my wife's uh, eyes, and she said, yes. I said, well, babe, I said, you cannot separate that day from today. See, we, we get caught up in affirmation, and it's so difficult for us to do something that we're not being affirmed, but God's calling us to some things that we're not being affirmed in, but if we will do that, we'll get to where God wants us to go, but if we stay right where we're at right now in some of the affirmation areas that we're receiving and validation, we'll never get there. That week, my wife gave up the, the gift basket ministry, and she dropped out of the choir so she could pursue what God was you know, leading her to do. And today, my wife, on a weekly basis, is counseling multiple pastor's wives, walking them through the very things that we talked about way back when. This is talk, well, I'm talking right now a little bit about life maturity, and I know I'm using a lot of personal examples, but I'm doing so because I want to paint the picture enough so that you can understand what I'm talking about here. Life maturity, life maturity. And, uh, and it's a big deal. It's, it's, it's something that we've got to get through if we're going to move on. And then you got the, the last two um, phases of, of growth is that, um, and I'm going to come back to talking about the temptations, but the last two phases of growth is that uh, of convergence. And convergence is where you enter into this place where that everything that you've experienced in life and your training, your development, and your callings and, and the maturity, all these things now converge together and God places you in a role position that now it's not so much about what you do as much as is the person you become and ministry just flows out of you. Clinton says that only one-third ever get to that point. They get through the life maturity and get to convergence. And then the last one is afterglow, and very few people ever experience afterglow. Afterglow is when a lifetime of ministry has occurred, and now you're able to allow all the things that you've done that put you in a place where that um, you're living in the afterglow. And there are very few people that ever get there, but they do. There's some. And so the temptation is that 
going back to this, this fourth dimension of life maturity is that we will plateau or drop out. And the reason that we do is that we often face these three temptations and we succumb. And the first one is, is that it's all based upon what I do. The second one, the second one is found in that um, the, the devil takes him to um, the holy city, sits him on a pinnacle. He says, once you cast yourself down and uh, the angels, they, they'll, they'll, they'll pick you up and you're going to be tempted to do things because of what people think or say about you. You, you want to you look good in front of people. The third temptation is that I want you to bow down. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this, uh, of this world, and uh, you're going to be tempted to find validation or affirmation in your possessions, what you have. And so we face these three temptations. So we're going through things in life maturity, the struggles of life, the hardships of life, and we're tempted to circumvent that process and just try to make sure that, you know, we, we get affirmation, validation in what we do, or it's in uh, what we possess, or it's in what people think about us. Unfortunately, unfortunately, many circumvent the process of becoming because the fire is too hot. The wait is too long. The uncertainties are too many. And we just like, I'm done. I'm out of it. It's not easy. It's not easy. But here's the fact. The more dependent on him that we become, the more dependent upon him that we become, the more mature we become. I, it was um, 2020. March the 15th is when Trump made his speech. We were going into a capital campaign. Marvin Mitchell had come in and was helping us with it. I had flown to Indiana the week before and uh, did some leadership teaching, jumped on a plane with my wife, flew to California, left at about 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, California time, landed. They picked us up uh, after a, a change of planes somewhere. We got there later in the afternoon. They picked us up. Uh, took us to the hotel, we checked in, um, grabbed a bite to eat, and took us to church, and it was just running, everything was running, and then went down to Carlsbad, spent a, a day at the ocean, went back, taught leadership for two days, and then I'm flying through uh, the night to get back to the church, because I could be there on Sunday, and then March the 15th is the Monday, and Marvin Mitchell calls, and he says, I'm in Chicago, um, I just jumped on a plane from Indianapolis to Chicago, I just heard the news, uh, are you guys moving forward? And I said, yes. And he said, well, Trump's getting ready to make his speech. And I said, we're moving forward. He's in the air flying to Houston, and we hear Trump make a speech, and we said, we are suspending the campaign. Marvin lands, and we said, get back on the plane, go home, And which is the next day. I went and picked him up, and we spent the evening together. And so it was just go, 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 go. And so I took a day of rest, and then I started praying. I said, God, what do you, what do you want? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And the Lord had spoken. He said, rest. He actually said the word celebrate. And I'm like, okay, I get that. Thank the Lord for all the things he's done. And then rest. And so I'm, I'm resting, Sister Russell. It's all good. And so unless I'm fly fishing. Now, if I'm fly fishing, I can rest for a long time. I can rest for a couple of weeks of fly fishing. But other than that, if I'm not fly fishing about three days, I'm ready to go. I'm, let's, let's do something. We gotta, let's move forward. Let's do something. And, um, and so... A couple of days of celebrating, and I'm like, okay, God, speak. 
speak God and I'm praying speak God and my devotions and speak and about two or three days of doing that and the Lord spoke and he says do you want me to speak because you want something else to do or do you want me to speak because you want to have a relationship with me See, I, the, 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 this is this journey of this life maturity for me it's about the age of 35 or 40 all the way up to about the age of 52, 53, I'm only finding the last year or so that I'm stepping into convergence. It's, it's this period of time that so many people never get through. They, they, they bail out. They, they, they plateau. They, they step back. And it, Why? Well, because it's demanding. It, it costs a lot. It's It's difficult. And God is, God is saying, I want, I want you to focus on, on, on your relationship with me. And I'm hearing God say this over and over again. It's what Dr. Coltharp was talking about. And I'm hearing this over and over again in, in my life. And so here in the spring, I find myself, I, I, I'm at Sunday night service, and I'm busy, and there's so many things going on, and you got to take care of so many things. I'm at the school, and, and I live about five nights up in Lufkin, and then I drive back, and I'm sleeping in my bed in my house for two nights, and, and, and then I'm out traveling, and I'm, I'm back and forth. And, and so here I am at church, and I found myself somewhere over here during worship service, and I'm just like, God, I don't want to have to do one thing. I don't want to have to minister to anyone. I don't want to have to pray for anyone. I don't want to have to think about what's coming next in the service. Lord, I just want to spend time with you. And I'm praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord. And a couple of people came and prayed for me. I remember that happening. I don't know what they prayed for. Maybe God blessed me with a million bucks. I have no idea. They just they were praying for me. And, and I don't know if my face or my countenance was like, he's in desperate need of a relationship with God. I don't know what it was. But, you know, they came and prayed for me. Unusual, but they did. And I'm just like, okay, God, I'm just worshiping you. And the Lord began to talk to me. And it was very strong impressions in my spirit. And he says, do you know why you are where you're at right now in life? The things that you're doing. Do you know why you're there? He says, do you, do you think it's because of your education? I'm like, no, Lord. He says, well, do you think it's because of your personality? No. Do you think it's because of your connections? No. Do you think it's because of your last name? No. Do you think it's because of your talents and your ability, skill set? Well, Lord, you, you know that's not it. And, and he's just, it's like a series of just these questions. And then the Lord said to me, he says, or do you recognize that you are where you're at right now because I placed my hand upon your life? And when he said that, I said, well, Lord, I know that that's it. And then the Lord asked me something. He said, so why is it that you rely upon your education? Why do you rely upon your talent? Why do you rely on your connections? Why do you rely on your personality and you don't rely on me? And the Lord told me, he said, you can have success in all those other things. You can accomplish some things. He said, but you will never go where I want you to go, accomplish what I want you to accomplish, do what I want you to do, unless you rely on me. See, the challenge is, is that as leaders in this fourth phase, is that we do things and we hear affirmation and we get validation and we're hearing all this stuff and we get so caught up in doing that we never really allow God to begin to change us and mold us and shape us in ways. And God sends us through things and then all of a sudden we go through those things and it begins to hurt. 
And then we begin, okay, God, I can't handle that. So we settle for what we are able to accomplish, and we get affirmation from that, or we settle for what people think, or we settle for what we have. And we never stay with the process. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. He does what? He purgeth it. You ever wonder why you are going through what you are going through? It's because God wants to bring forth more fruit. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit, that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. The only way that you can bear fruit that remains is for you to stay connected to the vine. And Dr. Coltharp, thank you so much for what you were saying earlier, because sometimes we get so caught up in all the doing that we forsake the becoming. We don't stay connected to the vine, and that the only way to have fruit that lasts is by being connected to the vine. We were in the worship service uh, portion just a little earlier and, um, and singing some worship songs to the Lord, and the Lord impressed upon me something. I love the story of Joseph. I'm always writing about it, thinking about it, talking about it, and the Lord impressed upon me something from Joseph that I don't know if I've ever articulated this way, but um, I actually wrote it down in my phone. I saw something in Joseph. I don't know how I missed it. I, I, I just sometimes look right over things, and it doesn't really jump out to me. And then later it does, and I'm like, wow, how did I miss that? And so um, you know the story. He ends up in a pit, ends up in Potiphar's household. And there he learns administration. You think about what he does later in his life. He learns administration, and he's prosperous. And then it, it is as though that God says, okay, you learn all you can learn here. Now I'm going to move you over to a prison. It's going to be a larger scale, and you are going to learn to administrate there. So God moves him to the prison, and now he learns administration on another scale. And then God says, okay, and it doesn't say this in the Scripture, but you can read this into the Scripture. Okay, now you've got that down. Now, I'm going to put you in administration next to the most powerful man in the world at that time. And you've got the famine, and, and now Joseph is there and performing administration at another level. This is being stretchable. This is the part of growing. But standing over there earlier, it hit me so strong that it wasn't just learning how to do at a larger scale. It wasn't that God moved me from a little farm town to East Tennessee and then from East Tennessee to Memphis and I began to learn how to do and lead at a larger scale and then to Texas 
and to Katie, and then to Texas Bible College, and a nonprofit, and all the things that, that I'm doing. And along the way, I write rodentivity. It's a word I made up. The rodent running on a spinning wheel. But he's not going anywhere. He's just busy. It dawns on me one day. Sometimes we're just busy, but we're not really going anywhere of importance. And I'm thinking about the rodent and productivity. And I just put the two words together. I said, oh, it's rodentivity. I, I, make, I make up words by mistake a lot of times. So this time I made one up on purpose. Rodentivity. And then I thought, Okay, now we need to write a book about now once you get a hold of your purpose and you can live it out, how do you do that in practical terms? So I write rhythm. Rhythm was my own desire, pursuit to increase my level of productivity and, you know, uh, how can I do this better? Time blocking and Pomodoro technique and all these things. And so I did that and I thought I ought to turn this into a book. Maybe someone else wants to read this. It could benefit them. So I turn it into a book. Well, I could not do today what I am doing if I had not gone through that process. If I had not written rhythm and learned different techniques, I could not do what I'm doing today. Now, Brother Coltharp, he's like a machine. My wife told me one day, many years ago, she said, I did not marry Brent Coltharp. You cannot live his busy life. Quit trying to outrace him. And I'm like, Carrie, are you serious? Because he, he, he's good at what he does. I mean, it's how God gifted him to, to I mean, he, he's like so diligent and time-blocking me. I'm like, I'm looking for someone to talk to. And if I can find somebody to talk to and get away from doing all the things I have to do, and I have to discipline myself, go in and close the door, put something on the outside of the door that says do not disturb and focus. And I can handle it for about 45 minutes, and then I'm ready to get my Nerf gun and go shoot someone and have some fun in the office and scare people. And then, you know, I, I, don't, I doubt that Brother Coltharp ever does anything like that. And, and, but I'm this people side of you, you know, so I want to have fun. And, and I don't even know how I got to where I'm at right now. And so, let me get back to where my, I was going to say something a minute ago, and I'm trying to work my way back to it. <laughs> Brother King, it's real. And so, um, I've got the note here in front of me, but I'm trying to figure out the connection of why I was all the way out there with the Nerf gun. It's not coming. And so, um, I'll just have to skip that part. Normally, I can make my connection back, but it's not. My wife is here. She would be like tracing all of the, the rabbit trails, and she'd help me. And I can usually bring it back together, but um, that's going to bug the daylights out of me that I can't figure out where I was going with that. But anyway, we'll just jump right back at it. So Joseph's life. So I know what it is now. It's coming back to me. Thank you, Jesus. And so it's, it's all of this, you're, you're doing this, you're doing that, and, and you're busy. And I'm, so I'm growing in this, in the rhythm and, and all these kind of things. And, and I'm thankful for that. But there's another side that people don't know. I know the other side of my story, and very few know, but there's some that do. I know at 45 years old that church is offered to me, but I turn it down because I don't feel like it's what God's called me to do. And I move into with my in-laws because I don't have any other choice. It's either go take the church, go take a job, or follow God. My son 
goes to college in Indiana. My daughter and wife move in upstairs, my in-laws, and I hit the road traveling. I slept in my bed in 2013, 32 times from the month of April until the end of the year. I know the sacrifice. I know that temptation to retaliate, the temptation to validate myself, because I feel as though that I'm being ostracized by some and, and I'm hearing rumors and talk, and I know it's not true. And you, you want to take a stand. But knowing that God is saying no. Anybody, anybody here, you can identify with the, the journey of becoming? And I turned down this, and I turned down that, and, and pursue what? But just knowing that God is leading you and guiding you, and then watching God come through in miracles, one after another, and begin seeing things that you dreamed about for years begin to open up, and doors begin to open up. And so I'm looking at Joseph's life, and sitting over here, it just hit me so strong. And I wrote this down. If he doesn't become, if Joseph doesn't become in this journey of the pit and learn an administration of Potiphar's household, if he's not becoming in the prison where he's learning to administrate again on another level, if he's not becoming, if all he ever does is grow and improve on his doing, his leadership abilities, his leadership talents, his leadership skills. If that's all he's ever doing, then there comes a time that he ends up destroying the dream that God gave him. His daddy, his mama, his brother is bowing down, and now he's got an opportunity Get them out of here. Take their life. It's so interesting to me, and I, I close with this, so interesting to me. And I can't get away from this, Brother Gurley. It just impacted me so strongly. And it may just be personal. It may be just be me. But I cannot get away from it that when it's all said and done, Joseph looks at his brothers, and he says to them, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. But that's not where he stops. He goes on and he says, for the saving of many. And I feel the Holy Ghost here, and I'm going to speak to somebody. There's at least one person here right now I'm going to speak to you. You've gone through so much, and you thought it was about the fulfillment of the original dream. But God said, no, it's always been about something much bigger than what you ever anticipated. You never saw it, but it was bigger than what you saw. It's bigger than what you imagined. Now, I know there's some young people in here right now, and you haven't gone through some of these things. You've, got, you've experienced a lot of this, but you haven't experienced, you haven't experienced this journey as far as where I'm talking about right now. But there'll come a time, if you can ever remember this and look back on it, there'll come a time that if you'll do the right thing, you'll be able to say that God... I now see that you were orchestrating this all along the way, and you actually meant it for something much bigger than I ever anticipated. 
I, I share Carrie's story. We're very transparent about, with it, more so today than we've ever been. I share it because I know that there are people that go through things, and I want them to understand that on the other side of everything that you've gone through, on the other side of all that, is God's purpose and plan that's bigger than what you could ever imagine. This past Sunday, I'm preaching for Mark Hattaball, and uh, I come off the platform, and I got Carrie's hand, and we begin to walk across the front, and I said, I never enjoyed the fact that there were several years in our marriage that because of my wife trying to work her way through this, she had anger issues, and it was bad. She's yelling, she's screaming, and it was every day. And God brought us through that. Our marriage was a two, and I'm pastoring. Today I say it's a 9.5, 9.8. I always want to leave room for improvement, and it depends on if she snored last night. And she always just shakes her head at me. And people come up to me and they're like, man, you pick on your wife all the time. But we're walking across the front. I said, I, I remember those years. I remember the night that she had her bags packed. She was yelling. She had the kids here and walk out the door. And I'm like, babe, you can't do that. I called my father-in-law. I didn't know who to talk to. I called my dad sitting there. I said, dad. I need to talk with you. And she said, put down your phone, put down your phone. I put down my phone. She started crying. I didn't know this for several years. She went into our kids' bedrooms. My son is four. My daughter is one. She's fighting postpartum depression. She goes into their bedrooms, and she prays, God, protect my kids from me. And then one night, she says, God, why am I so angry? And God says, because what happened to you when you were a kid? She said, God, it can't be. I forgave those guys a long time ago. God says, no, it's because what happened to you. You haven't processed that right. And Dr. James Hughes came into our life, and he walked my wife through a healing journey. And today, our lives are so different. Our marriage is awesome. She's my best friend. We're walking across the altar, the close of the message, Sunday night. And I'm holding her hand, and I'm saying, God, you know, I didn't want to go through that, but I'm so thankful that you allowed me to walk through it. I'm thankful because of what you've brought out of it. I'm thankful the next thing I know, my wife is dancing, and she's an introvert. It's not normal for her to do something like this, but I'm walking across the front and walking back as she's dancing and dancing and dancing. And I want to tell somebody here right now, you may not feel like dancing right now because of what you're going through, but when you get through all of it, you see the convergence of all the things you've been through and all the pieces and all the training and all the development, and you step into that area, you're going to dance. Amen. You're going to dance. Would you stand with me right now? I know this is a little different. I don't know what y'all were expecting. Tomorrow I'll be very practical and we'll deal with some things. But I just so felt so strongly impressed to speak to somebody here tonight to encourage you. Don't give up in this life maturity phase. Amen. Would you lift your hands to heaven right now? God, in your precious name, 
God, I know that you have spoken to some people here. God, I have felt your spirit, and I know that when you move and you minister and you speak, God, you're making a difference in someone's life, and you're speaking words of encouragement to someone. And God, I know that on the other side of what they are going through right now, God, it looks so different. I pray for hope right now. I pray, God, for words of encouragement to people right now, God, that are in this journey. God, those that right now are dealing with the inner growth, God, they're beginning to recognize that I, there's something going on in my life and I've got to grow. God, I pray that you help them. God, those that are dealing with the emerging leader right now, God, give them the resources. God, help them find the things that they need, the tools to help them grow as a leader. But God, those that are dealing with life maturity, God, help them to recognize that this is not a time to quit. It's not a time to plateau, but God, it's a time to keep moving forward, allowing you to become everything you want to become in us. God, help us to recognize the value of staying connected to the vine and God in everything that we do as leaders and we do God it will never get away from the doing aspect but while we are doing God it help us God to let it flow from our relationship with you God you can give us resources that are beyond our abilities and our knowledge God you can give us direction you can speak to us you can help us through things that we can't figure out on our own but God you know you know and I give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus name in Jesus Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name just for a moment because I feel the presence of the Lord here so strong I know the Lord is speaking to a few people in here very strongly would you just lift your hands to heaven again and would you just thank the Lord I thank you Jesus 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 I thank you, Jesus. Could I share something with you really quick? Uh, I'm going to get out of the way. I had one of my children come to me 2019, August of 2019. They said, Dad, I need to talk with you. And they began to share something that happened to their childhood. I had no idea. Have you ever talked about being the wind taken out of you? And uh, for two days, my wife had started her doctoral program, and, and she had a test coming up, and she would say, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. And she asked me a little later in the day, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. For two days. I walked into my bedroom after two days, and I, I couldn't take it anymore. And I just walked in, and I threw my hands in the air. My wife was in the living room studying. The kids were gone. I threw my hands in the air, and I just began to thank the Lord. And when I did, for the first time in 48 hours, I felt peace. And the Lord spoke to me. I just preached about it. I didn't see it when I preached it. Now I'm living it, and I begin to see it. And he spoke to me from the scripture I'd preached just a couple weeks prior. He said, prayer with supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto the Lord. And the peace of God, the peace of God, it'll come. It'll rest upon you. And I realized that for 48 hours, I had begged God and didn't feel peace. I had commanded God and didn't feel peace. I had pleaded with God and I didn't feel peace. I had done all these things and did not feel peace until I began to thank him. Amen. I believe the Holy Ghost has spoke to somebody just right now. Would you lift your hands one more time? And I want you to thank God in the midst of your difficulty where you're at right now, in the midst of what is going on right now, not having the answers. 
not having the answers, not knowing how it's going to work out, would you thank him right now? I give you praise and glory. I magnify your name. You're so good, God. I lift up my voice and I glorify you. I thank you, God, for peace. I thank you, Lord, for peace. You're bringing peace to hearts and minds of people here right now. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name.